Hi there, my name is Denise Malanakis, and this is the first episode of the Marielles podcast. My first guest uh, on this ep- inaugural episode is my father, Angelo Malanakis. Hey, and you're one of the few people who, who were able to pronounce my name properly. <laughs> <laughs> I, and that's I, after I shortened it. <laughs> stop. I can say the same to you, frankly. Yeah. So uh, rather impromptu, I plucked him from his office and I pulled him up and I just, we just started talking about the expos. I had watched um, the documentary Nos Amoureux on YouTube about the expos and I did some uh, Wikipedia and archive searching and I have some notes, he doesn't, and uh, we just started talking about it. Okay, so you caught me off guard. And so this is factual information that has been in my uh, memory bank for over 30 years. And I don't, you know, I would have to, um, I wouldn't bet on my dates and dates and times and uh, and names uh, for any particular point, but it's the essence of what I was trying to say. Yeah, we're not historians. We're not, uh, you know, we're not uh, researchers. We're just people. He was there. I read a couple of articles and we're just having a chat. Exactly. So I called it Black Monday instead of Blue Monday. You corrected me. Thank you for that. I mixed up Moises Alou and Philip. Philip, Philip Alou, his Philippe father. Alou. Yes. It's, it's, you know, so we say 91, 92, and it was really 92, 93. Uh, but I feel really confident. I'm happy to put this up. All right. Well, thank you. I wanted to uh, to uh, to do this over again, but Denise says no. Let's, no, let's, it needs uh, to be authentic. It, so. And it's very authentic. And since we're talking about authentic, Denise will finish uh, the preface off with one really important <laughs> tidbit. <laughs> I told her not to say it. Uh, one trivia question. Who is the only, although the Expos moved here, moved away decades ago. Who's the only active professional athlete still playing, uh, still involved as a professional athlete? That's been drafted by the Montreal Expos. Who, Dad? Tom Brady. Wow. Just the, you had to, to throw that in there. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks Enjoy. so much. I had fun. Me too. Call me in the afternoon, even by I feel like I need to give a little bit of context uh, to you and to anyone. Um, I've been listening to podcasts for a little bit of time now. Um, I listened to this funny podcast called You Up, which is like a modern dating podcast. And then it translated to um, Conan O'Brien's podcast. And then uh, Matt Gorley is the producer on that. And then I started listening to podcasts that he produced, and one of which is a podcast I'm currently obsessed with called The Alarmist. And it's this woman who just invites her friends and she's a comedian. She's she's not a historian. And she talks about disasters, world disasters. And she likes picking somebody who's to blame. And she does a lot of research. And uh, she's a self-proclaimed alarmist that she's, you know, she's a nervous, anxious person. And uh, she thinks more people should be nervous and anxious. Uh, are you are we referring to your mom? <laughs> yes, an alarmist and she also says she catastrophizes things. You're right, that's a very mom. Every time I'm, I listen to the show, I'm thinking of Montreal events or Quebec events that are on the same level and then it just led me to doing my own research and I thought why not make a local version? But also just just different. We'll see where it takes us. So original, so ingenious. It's not original. Well, for Montreal it is. For uh, uh, for your topic, I think for Montreal it is. Um, and it, it could, that was just the inspiration. And we'll see which direction it goes. I made a list of things that I'm very interested in, and I want to do a deep dive. And I think we come from a very vibrant and diverse city, in which. I wrote down 20 Montreal catastrophes that have happened in modern Quebec history <laughs> that are that are like that are insane. What happened to the Expos? I would say it's a catastrophe. It's a little bit of a disaster, especially since there's the highs were so high. Well, not highs in like winning World Series highs, but the highs are pretty good, but the lows are also really really bad. And it's accentuated by two factors. First, there's no, they're no longer in existence. Uh, second, um, that team that left, uh, although it's not the same management, not the same players, not the same team, has won a World Series. Yeah. And third, even though 
Montreal's in, in, inaugural game was in 1969. Yep. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays didn't exist then. Yeah. Toronto Blue Jays have won back-to-back -back World Series in 1993. Yeah. yeah, they actually call it the Expo University, where they played for the Expos for three, four years, get traded to a team that immediately wins the World Series. And that's when we'll talk a lot about... Uh, his name is Pedro Martinez. Pedro Martinez, absolutely, yes. Yeah, we'll talk. So, okay, so I'll, I'll run he to... He wasn't the only one. And okay. you have somebody like... Uh, Vladimir Guerrero. Vladimir Guerrero. His son is playing right now Vladimir for... Vladimir Jr. Jr. for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. Okay, look. Why, why, why? Let so let me, that's what we're going to let me, let me just tell you that <laughs> if you speak to... And this is, this is quite a few years old, and you're, you're calling me uh, off guard, but I'm ad-libbing, right? You have Warren Cromartie in left field, a Hall of Famer. You have Ellis Valentine, who was considered a lazy player, but one of the best players in the league. And he had a tremendous arm in right field. You always put your right, your the strongest arm in right field. Would you know why? He throws the furthest? Yeah, so you... Oh, that's, I thought that's second base where you throw well, the furthest. Well, so both the center field, all, all, all three outfielders throw to all, to all bases, with the exception of a left fielder and a center fielder, chances are they will not be throwing to first base which is the same distance as a right fielder throwing to third base. So you put your best arm in right field. So even though he had the best arm, just a little tid -tid tidbit fact, Warren Cromartie had more outs being thrown in to home plate than Ellis Valentine, who had a better arm. Why? Because they knew Ellis Valentine had a great arm. I wouldn't challenge him. Nobody knew Warren Cromartie had a great arm, so they would challenge him, and he had a, ended up having a great arm. Such a good arm that... People don't even know this. Um, when the games weren't important later on in, in, in the season, Warren Cromartie, it's a great trivia question, actually came in and uh, was, a, uh, was, was a pitcher in the late innings. So uh, going from an outfield to a pitcher, I, I don't remember anybody that's else not, ever, ever doing that. That's not common at all. Okay, so you're just confirming that I'm... I am glad I invited you to be my guest for this episode. Thank you oh, for I being here, Dad. I didn't finish. I'm sorry. Yeah, Steve Rogers. <laughs> we have a lot to cover, right? Dad. Uh, what they call Black Monday, but he who was Blue the, Monday. Blue Monday. He was the. Oh, that's good. Ooh, uh, baby. So that, okay. that, so that was a time where where uh, where the Expos were were heading towards uh, playoffs. They were in the playoffs. That was a pivotal moment in it's the history, and they say case. that if they didn't lose that game on Blue Monday, we would still have a team today. I'm not so sure about that, but it's very possible. And you had basically. Uh, um, uh, Rodney Scott and, and Larry Parrish at third base and uh, Tony Perez at first base. Uh, you had a, basically an all-star team. You had an all-star team. All-star team. So I'm going to run through a short history, and then I'd like you to tell me something that I wouldn't be able to say, like the cultural phenomenon at the time. But I'll okay. run through the, the, the stats, okay. and you'll let me know. So the, um, the Montreal Expos were a MLB professional uh, baseball team that um, was chosen in 1967. Yes. And they were the first Canadian uh, Major League Baseball team. First foreign. Foreign. Yeah. yeah. Anyone uh, first un Canadian, but yeah. first foreign. First and I, foreign. And we have to, uh, I have to give credit to at that time the mayor, Jean, Jean, Jean Drapeau, who brought Man in His World, yeah. right? Who artificially built an island. Which is what the Expos are named after, yeah, right. the 67 Expos. Yeah. Right. And so they didn't have they didn't know where they were going to play but he's like we'll figure it out we'll figure it out and he chose Jerry Park and it was like a hustle to get it done and in 1967 they say it was almost done because a fun okay a fun little tidbit it was almost ready and almost because not all the seats were there at the time so they actually had to rent folding chairs from a funeral home and so everybody was out putting chairs so the general manager of the team was a guy named Gene Mouch Gene Mock that's how you pronounce it. And there's footage of him. Imagine the general manager putting folding chairs out. At last, the great day arrived. The stadium was ready. The people were ready. And even though word had it that Montreal and Jarry Park would still be under snow on opening day, nobody in Montreal believed it. They knew, despite what anybody else said, that they had a stadium team and a dream so um you know one of the OG do you know what OG stands for 
OG. It's not a baseball term. It's just like a slang. Yeah. OG, original gangster. Original gangster. So one of the OGs on the Expos was uh, a player, Le Grand Orange. Rusty Stock. Right. Yes. So he was, so the Expos played. It was a fantastic inaugural game. They lost. but Against the New York Mets, if I'm not mistaken. And in the paper the next day, the French uh, newspapers had Les Expos no, Nos Amours. So it was well-loved. The seats were full. For the first three years, the Expos sucked, notably. But nobody cared. It was such a fantastic ordeal. Everybody was just happy to be there. It was considered silly. You know, first they had this mascot named Suki. He was, he has like, he looks like the Mets, you know, like the Mets, the big baseball, mm -hmm. their mascot, but it was a head, a baseball head on a human body. And apparently people thought he was terrifying. So that's when they changed to Yuppie. Mm -hmm. And Yuppie was super flamboyant. He was like getting kicked out of games. There was, there were, there were dancers. They want Yuppie off the Dodger dugout. He's bugging the Dodger players. Calling somebody from security over. Call security and remove him from the ballpark. There was a band that played. It was it was a it was fun. It was fun, but Jerry Park was not the setting for professional baseball. Uh, not only was it not professional, actually, it was. It, we got intimate with the players. I remember the tickets were a dollar to go sit sit in the bleachers, mm -hmm. and literally you had Ken Singleton number twenty nine literally coming up right up to you and catching. You know, catching the ball and just throwing the ball out into into the fans. So for it was intimate. It was intimate. It was personal, and people weren't going there to see the Expos. Yes, I mean that's our home team. Right. We had very low expectations. Uh, we were going to see all the other teams, all the other big names that the Los Angeles does coming to Montreal, come to your park, yeah. and, and and you know, if you would go see these people in Los Angeles, you you'd have to pay four or five times as much for the ticket to get to the entrance uh, and you'd be hundreds of meters away here you were 50 feet away yeah. from the from 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 uh, from the new york yankees and yeah. the boston red sox and although the boston red sox and new york yankees didn't come because it, it was a different this national league and american league right we were we were in the we're in the national league, the national league yes but you had the chicago coming in yeah, yeah. you had the new york mets coming in and yeah. and and uh, all these teams los angeles and uh, all these teams coming in that you only saw them in in, in in on tv or or you read about them in the newspaper and here you go you're about to, uh, you know, see them up close and live, and it was intimate and much more intimate than they were in their home field. Right, and and Rusty Le Grand was like the sort of the face of the Expos. He was learning French. He was out on the town, and at the time, it was like endearing. And other than Jean Beliveau, there was no like French representation supposedly at that time in in sports. So that's why I don't know. They were heartwarm. He was the face of the uh, he was the face of the team. Everybody loved him. And he was sort of, they, they sort of coined him as being essential into making the sport well-loved and popular. They, they used him as a uh, as a PR figure. Yeah. Who liked the limelight. Yeah. He, wasn't he was the cute. He wasn't the best shape. Yeah. He wasn't the best player. Bright orange hair. Right. You know, he looked awkward. And, and our uh, uniforms were considered goofy, too. Our he, three colors. He, he was it was goofy. It was, well, it was uh, baby blue. Baby blue, red, and white, three right. colors. We don't know what our mascot is. What what animal is Yuppie? Doesn't matter. It matters so little. <laughs> What's well, this? the Canadians are you have been using him since. Since, which is nice. He's right. still in his baseball right. uniform. So he's still active if ever the Canadians were, or, uh, sorry, the Expos would ever come back. Yeah. Yeah. So then the first tragedy, oh, yeah, something about Jerry Park, which I read, is, uh, right, poor design, but accessible, but not... Look, look, it didn't meet the criteria. Yeah. That the Major League Baseball Another failure. Uh, right? Yeah. So we had to ad lib until we were able to get the stadium. Yeah. Right. Apparently, um, when the sun set, it would go directly into the eyes of the first baseman and it was dangerous. So imagine they had to stop for 20 minutes every night because it was a baseball game like every night. Um, they had to stop and. Uh, and take a break so the sun wasn't in his eyes, so it wasn't dangerous. So then, first tragedy, I would say, in the Expos, 1972, they traded Rusty. He didn't see it coming. The team didn't see it coming. Apparently, everybody was heartbroken. To this day, I just saw an interview with him. He's still, like, like one of the saddest days of his life. Right. He had learned French. He's like, come on. He didn't have a long... 1972, the team started in 1969. That's, like, a three-year Rusty period. Right. He's the face of the traded. But we, you know, a new wave of the Expos. Then we got Gary Carter. 
the yeah, kid, Gary Carter. Much later, yes. Much later, late 70s, mid to late 70s. Mm. He was there when we moved to the Olympic Stadium in 77. So Gary Carter, uh, Hall of Fame uh, catcher, uh, unfortunately died from a brain tumor. 2012. Uh, he was like 56. Yes. So he was he was always out there. Um, good guy. Everyone says he was great, like yeah. a good person. Yeah. I always remember with his perm hair. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and and until he became a superstar, he wasn't doing very well. I mean, he was batting... You know, two, 240, 250. Uh, and then when he decided to get serious, uh, he had some great years with the Expos. Yeah. So, okay, we moved to the Olympic Stadium. Um, it was supposed to, it got postponed six years later than originally scheduled. It appeared that the Expos would have to play at least the early part of the season of 60, uh, sorry, of 76, 77 season at Jerry Park due to delays for securing a lease for the Olympic Stadium. The team broke off negotiations not long after the PQ landslide victory in the 76 political elections. Now, I mentioned that because at the time, Charles Bronfman, who is the owner of the Expos, keeps going on these angry rants against the public. Quebecois government at the time and I understand it was a very turbulent time but the team was losing its audience it was losing respect and he was sort of um smearing the team with his political views which I guess represent a good portion of Montrealers review times but I don't know like they didn't know the fate of the stadium and it was connected to him somehow do you have any thoughts on well, you, you're gonna understand this. These were troubling times, yeah. right? Depending on what side of the fence you were on, I, I understand. So when the PQ party mm -hmm. that represents the liberation of Quebec out of Canada gets elected, yeah, it's a total. Because uh, he's saying he's gonna move the team, like he's speaking on behalf of everybody. You're too young. You weren't even born. But no. I, I, I recall that the next morning, after René Levesque wins the election that night, Sun Life who had hit, you, know, you got to understand, Montreal at that time was a bigger city than Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, real estate was more expensive than Toronto. Mm -hmm. Jobs were in Toronto. Head offices were in Toronto. We had a stock market here. We had the commodities exchange here. Uh, we had head offices of Bank of Montreal, which makes sense. All the, all the banking was done here. Uh, there were not many high-rises. Basically, Toronto was still considered a town. Mm -hmm. Once that happened, the, the first... Person to make, the first company to make a statement was Sun Life mm -hmm. that owns a Sun Life building on Metcalf on downtown. Right. They went out, came up and said, if Quebec is going to you know, separate, separate uh, we're a Canadian company. We're moving our head office from Montreal to Toronto. Mm -hmm. They did it publicly. Most of the other companies, including banks, when the Bank of Montreal moves its office from Montreal into the head off back to the head office in Toronto, the the onslaught followed. So there was a there was an exodus of brains, talent, and who left? It's the people that were entrepreneurs, the people that had uh, assets that were afraid that somewhere in the world that they had heard that their assets were frozen. So people picked up and stuff and left. It, if you were poor, it made no difference to you. If you were middle class, you were worried. If you were rich you wanted your assets out of this province, mm -hmm. right? So at that particular time, there was an exodus and there were more people leaving the province than coming. If I was uh, the mayor of Toronto, I'd put a bust of René Levesque at every street corner <laughs> because he brought the jobs, he brought the people, he brought the head offices, he, he brought people to build the, the houses and the apartment buildings and, uh, and Toronto today is thriving. Yeah. It, it has the stock market, it has all the head offices, uh, it has uh, the biggest uh, immig uh, immigration uh, coming to Canada. Yeah. They take the bulk of it. And their music scene right now is on fire. End of the 70s, we have Gary Carter. We're in our new stadium. We're doing really well. We're not. We're, we're playing really well. The Expos are playing super well. 1979, there was a winning season. They considered it excellent. In the early 80s, um, so just... It was hard for me to understand how popular the Expos was because I was too young and or not alive. But this statement like hit me hard. I read that in the early 80s, the Habs were giving away 2,000 free tickets just to fill the forum, whereas the Olympic Stadium was filled for the Expos. So in the early 80s, the Expos were prime. It was called the team of the 80s.
They were doing really well. Every year, they were like favorited to be in the World Series, to win the World Series. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Blue Monday happened October 19th, 1981, when Rick Monday of the LA Dodgers hit a home run off the Montreal Expos, Expos pitcher Steve Rogers in the ninth inning, and then the Dodgers entered the World Series. Dawson chasing back. Still on the run. Trouble at the fence. Home run. Monday. Two to one Dodgers. The Dodgers are the National League champions. At the end, uh, the Dodgers played the New York Yankees, I believe, and uh, the Yankees ended up winning. But all season, like, the Expos were, like, surefire going to win against the Yankees. So, like, it was, like, and I saw footage of it. Everyone looked so sad. And, like, I read an article, like, don't even mention Rick, Mur- Rick Monday. Right. to me. Do you remember that time? Very clearly, unfortunately. And and I can tell you, anybody who's a baseball fan remembers where they were. On Blue Monday? On Blue Monday, when that swing happened. I can tell you, I was at Concordia on the seventh floor. We <laughs> the TV uh, hung from the, from, from the ceiling, and we were all clinging on that TV. So Steve Rogers, I should point out, is a starting pitcher. He was the best pitcher of the Expos at that time as a starter. Usually he has, if I'm not mistaken, a five-day rest. And um, he was called in in relief because uh, if we can just get through the sitting, we're it. We can move on. Yeah. Right. And um, obviously it was the wrong. He was the best player, but it was the wrong decision. And, you know, you, you speak to Steve Rogers subsequently. Uh, he would have given his right arm to, to be able to pitch to, 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 to pitch that all over. That, that, that pitch again. That, uh, that pitch all over again. You're asking me 45 minutes after the game how I look back on the season. Um, I look back on it that I was one pitch short of making it a fairy tale ending. And you see the footage of this player. I'm not super familiar with the Expos players, but one of our good players in the outfield, and he's running, he's running, and he's against the wall. It's it's so gloomy. His hands are against the wall as the ball goes right over, and there's not, and there's a pin drop in the Olympic Stadium. Absolutely. Silence. People are crying. I yes. haven't seen that Montreal reaction other yes. than in in the Bell Center on some of our of some of the Habs playoff games and the article i read said that if they made it if they won that game they would have really good chance of winning the world series but if they didn't it would have like kept the spirit of baseball in montreal alive a couple things you should know uh, Denise. Mm-hmm. the first is almost all players superstars that came up through the expos were drafted and trained and uh, homebred by the Expos. They weren't yeah. like the Yankees. They went out and found the best players that money can buy. Yeah. All these players, there's only two, uh, there's only one organization that did it as well as as the Expos. And that was another small market team, the Minnesota Twins. Because I know that the Expos were the second cheapest team. Yes. Were the Minnesota the cheapest team? Yes. yes. <laughs> so you've got these two teams that are going out and doing finding, the work, doing the work, the grunt work, etc., uh, and bringing in the, these players that had potential and and working with them for years in the minor league system, taking the bus and uh, working hard with them, uh, and all of these players, with the exception of uh, a, a few of them, were brought in right from conception. They were drafted by the Expos, they played for the Expos farm teams, they were developed by the Expos, and this is what the only opportunity we had against big markets uh, like today, like New York City and and, and Boston. Mm -hmm. So the team, uh, so that was obviously disappointed. And and the other thing you should know is if you look at the history of the last 10, 15 years of baseball, Montreal never won a World Series. They never got to the World Series. But if you look at the aggregate 162 games over a 10-year period, so 1,620 games, the Expos had the winningest... Most games won. The winningest percentage of any other team in the in the major major baseball, especially in the '80s. So that's what I was just gonna read. That um, the Expos won more games between '79 and '83 than any other team in the NL East, which is our division. Yes. Uh, I don't know what that stands for. National League East Division. Okay. Uh, National Versus West. the West. Okay. Now, I, and I but would, only I, one postseason appearance to show for it. Exactly. And if not only that, it hurts because it, if you extrapolate that over ten years, 
they had the most the, the, the winningest baseball percentage in any team in the American, not only in uh, NL East, NL West, in the National League and the American League. And this was all homegrown, hard work, back to basics, baseball. So if uh, the other podcast I listened to, her name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. If she was here, she would be like, okay, who's to who's literally to blame? So like, who's to blame for Rick Monday getting that run? You would, you know, she, and then she would, listen, that's not what we're doing here, but she would put the name of the pitcher because, you know, he messed up the pitch. And then if you're like, okay, who's well, to, you know. Who's the manager would, who put him in place? He'll put him there. Right. And, um. The manager's different. Jim Fanning. Well, the, the manager decides. See, you mentioned earlier Expos on. replaced Fanning with Bill Verdon in 83 under new management. Right. At, right after that call. Right. So, yeah, he put he put the wrong pitcher in and he lost his job. He can be to blame for that. But we'll go more big picture. Okay. But she would put, like, she would even put, okay, the Montreal winter is to blame for not letting the team practice year-round because we have the good team, but we just, something's not there to, to get... Something you should know. All professional teams, almost all uh, professional baseball teams, most of them uh, start spring training, and they call it a Grateful League, mm-hmm. uh, all in Florida. And whether it's Jupiter, Florida, and Expos had their wonderful facilities. So, okay, so the weather so, isn't so, to blame. So, yeah, so when we go to Disney World... Uh, Why aren't we winning series in the early 80s, Dad? Why aren't uh, we making playoffs? Who is to blame? We couldn't put it all together. We couldn't put we, it all we together. Couldn't all, we were always missing one player, one hit, one It's not pitch. Brothman's fault. Are you sure? I, I, <laughs> I, 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 look, if it wasn't for Brothman, you probably, uh, you know. Because uh, we not, had the low budget. We couldn't take because we, we, we had it, the players. It, I'm sorry. It, it, it wasn't a profit. It, it, it's not a profit center for the Brothmans. This would be a benevolent, for something that they're giving back to the city. Mm-hmm. Because really, it's not a profit. You know, the amount of money that they paid for it, uh, it, 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 it wasn't a, a profitable venture. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, you know, they were streaming some of their funds from other organizations like Seagram's that they had at the time, et yep. cetera. And, and they did it because it was fun and it was, so they wanted to give back to the community. And this was a wonderful way because uh, we didn't at that time, but just like we occasionally traveled to Florida in the winter, we had a lot of Montrealers at that time continuing to travel to Florida. And and they were paying to watch baseball. In Florida? In Florida. That's funny. Right? So Like we do with the Panthers. Same idea. Same yeah. idea for hockey. So... It gets weird. I can't make sense to this. So hoping to turn the team's fortunes around, the Expo signed 42-year-old veteran Pete Rose, who was second all-time in in base hits to Ty Cobb to a one-year contract in 84. Just the most expensive contract ever. Rose reached a career milestone in Montreal, home opener, by recording his 4,000th hit of his career in a 5-1 victory over Philadelphia on April 13th. Though... Other than that record, you know, he they praised his acquisition and predicted he would help the team win the division, but he was ineffective. He only batted, I don't understand this batting, 0.259 and failed. Is that 20, less than 25%? Or? So out of a, out of a, a, a thousand at-bats, he would get a hit to get on base 259 times. Point 259 times? 259 times out of every Out of a thousand. thousand. Oh, gotcha, you, gotcha, you, gotcha, you, gotcha. You. And then that's, okay. So that's... Bad. He's old. Well, and he Montreal finished with a losing record on that season, and he had a one-year contract, so he was incredibly expensive. They had him for the record, and he did nothing. Do you know how much he made? Um, I could fact check that, but as of right now, no. And then he went right back to Cincinnati. Okay, if I can just comment, please. Uh, so he wasn't homegrown. His name was Mister Hustle. Mm-hmm. He was Mister Baseball, Mister Hustle. He he was the uh, epitome of what. Or he was a poster child for 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 baseball because he hit it. Obviously, the the he hit like almost a bunt that the pitcher would pick up and throw to first base. He wouldn't care about the ball. He would just be hustling and hoping that the pitcher would drop the 41. ball. He's forty one. All the other players are nineteen. I have to tell you, he wasn't brought in for bingo. You you answer the question yourself. He wasn't brought in to be good. To 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 be he was to to mentor the young players. Hey, it's okay. Don't worry. Uh, you know, look at the ball. Don't take your off the ball. Put your hands close together. Bend your knees a little more. And Arch there was a few of them. We we we. I'm saying we we the expos. We signed a few old Tony Perez. Yes, we have. Yes, we and have. would you consider that being? Poor management when your goal should be to get spend that money on young expensive players that will win. Rather than these, ex- like for notoriety, for they, mentorship, they, as you put they, it, they, they did it for a couple of reasons. 
I was at that game on April 13th. Why did I go? I went to go see Pete Rose. Why? Because really, uh, you don't have that many ch chances to see a legend in baseball. Later on, uh, he, although he, from a baseball perspective, he deserves to be a, a, a Hall of Famer. And yeah. that's why they, got, they, they picked him up at that time, because he could fill in a few seats. Uh, he was involved in uh, gambling on his own, on his own team and trying to fix games in his own team. So he's been banned yeah. from baseball. Yeah, Dad, you, I'd also say you said you went to see him. I would have to say you were one of the only ones because that year was considered, imagine, 81, 82, 83, amazing years for baseball. 84, Montreal's 84 failed se season resulted in a 31% decrease in attendance at the time. And, and So let, it didn't work. Let me just also tell you, uh, he, he can't fill in 20,000 or 30,000 seats on uh, just by himself. But hold on. It's, I know it's look not at, his personal other, fault. Look but... at the other dynamics happening in the city. So you had the Canadians, Montreal Canadians, winning Stanley Cup 75 to 79. 79 season, 80 season, things start to fall apart. Ken, uh, Ken Ryan retires. Um, uh, so the, it's not a winning season. They're trying to put it uh, together. Things are falling apart for the uh, uh, for uh, for Scott for for the Montreal Canadiens. People have become accustomed to now the Canadians winning, and now it's it's they're losing three nothing to expansion teams. Uh, even so, I have to tell you, it was awful at the at uh, at the forum at that time. Nobody wanted to go. There were empty seats. Uh, right, and, they were giving away the tickets, and and it was it was it was atrocious that. The, you know that this team got got to this particular level. So, so uh, so people were disenchanted. So they looked at the Expos mm -hmm. as the next. We only had the Alouettes, and I'm not sure those years uh, we possibly did not have the Alouettes because Nelson Scalvania bankrupted the comp uh, the Alouettes. Uh, I have to look at what years that was. So every, all the with, there was no soccer, so all the attention went to baseball, and. 162 games, 80, uh, 81 home games. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. So we had, and then, you know, we had a chance of winning, right? So all the utopia. Uh, but what about 84? 84, I guess, you know, the, the Canadians were getting slightly better. Uh, they want to stand. Thirty-one percent. They were. Look, you don't need much to go thirty-one percent. You know, you're filling the stadium as for a, a small a, city a, too. A, a, for six, uh, you're filling the stadium at with sixty thousand seats, and so thirty-one percent a third. You know, so you, you're down to forty thousand, but it was less than that. So then, after that 84, 1984 awful year, um, Bronfman traded Carter. He traded the kid. Second devastation in Expo's history. The city is so tormented, apparently sad. Very, very sad. He also learned French. He was another, like, like city favorite. And the reason I'm, I keep being like, oh, is because he said that the trade came one year after Bronfman had called the seven-year, $12 million contract Carter signed in 81, the biggest mistake he had made in his life. And that hurt everybody's feelings so much. Anyway, ups and downs. Of course. Ups and downs. Aren't you upset when... Uh, Subban got traded. Subban got traded. After yeah. he put so much money, not so much, a good amount of money into the hospital. We had the whole wing. There was an inaugural uh, thing. And then we find out he, he's going. Why do you think he got traded? Dad, that's another catastrophe okay. for another episode. Okay. Okay, so we'll talk about the 90s. Well, maybe we'll record it now and you can play it. <laughs> Let's roll into the 90s. I, oh. should, I should tell you about that. The 90s? No, I should tell you about P.K. Subban. I might okay. Okay. Um, I just want to stay a little bit on track because um, the 90s seemed insane. The 90s seemed insane. So let's talk about uh, 94. The Expos have the best season they have ever had in the game history. Sport popularity is an all-time high. Um, what happens, The all the owners of the MLB teams have a strike and right before they lock out the players they yes. lock out the players the strike began on august 12th 94 and resulted in the remainder of the season being canceled imagine the season where everyone is predicting the expos are gonna like it's a sure filed deal sure fire deal 
including so everything is canceled including postseason and for the first time since 1904 the world series and the strike was suspended april 12 95 after 232 days making it the longest such stoppage in mlb history and the longest work stoppage in major league professional sports at the time it was only broken that record was only broken in 2004 2005 with the nhl lockout on march 28 95 the players voted to return back to work and then basically there was no decision it was as if the lockout never happened. You were you were bound to the terms of your previous contract, that your expired previous contract. Every month, every Expos fan, it's like putting a dagger in your heart, uh, self-inflicted. So, you got to. Uh, I also blame the. Um, they were six games ahead of the Atlanta Braves, yes. like best record. They had the best record in baseball. And not only that, again, if you go look back 10 years before that, at the best record in baseball, both in all, of all teams in, in both leagues. So Baseball historians, I'm sorry, but baseball historians are like, okay, fine, this sucks, but you have next year. And because they had the second lowest um, budget, like baseball historians said the Expo should have just sat tight with all their players, done nothing, kept status quo, keep practicing, and start the 95 season with the same vigor they did. But that's not what the management of the Expos did. They traded their four most expensive players. So why? Why'd they, did, why'd they do that? I'm sorry, this is a big interruption, but it looks like you need a moment. You're, you look so heartbroken. So uh, I need to preface this. For Major League Baseball, it would be a nightmare if in the World Series, the Montreal Expos play the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Ratings-wise, TV earnings-wise, selling advertising, it would be a kiss of death for the, for the professional sport because you have two teams now, two foreign teams that are playing in another are these country. conspiracy theories? Are you sure no, conspiracy theories? No, no, it's not conspiracy theory. But if you're well, the league, NHL, if you're if you're if you're the league, I'm I'm telling you from a so it, it's a revenue based look. It's a business, said Denise. I know you look at it as an entertainment, and they're evoking emotions. You, enough for you to talk about it, read about it in the newspaper, sell some newspapers, uh, entice you to buy a, a, a go to the game, buy a hat, buy a hot dog, buy 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 a, a, a uniform, right? This is a business. Montreal was looking; it was going to be so. If you're the major, if you're the management of Major League Baseball, when would you like to have a strike? When the New York Yankees are going to play the Boston Red Sox? No, definitely not. All right? It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. Or, or, or a New York team playing uh, two big, two, two, two major markets. It's going to be when Minnesota is going to play Montreal. When Toronto is going to play, you know, these small markets, right? Because the, the the ratings won't be the same, you won't be able to sell as much advertising. You're not going to make as much money, and the postseason postseason is where you it's all the gravy of all your profits. And if you're if you're Major League Baseball, and you want to, as you if there's one season you're going to cancel, which one will it be? Where you're going to have one, possibly two small market teams playing, and the Toronto Blue Jays, we just came off a, a two peat. They, they guess won. The Blue Jays were, were around then? The Blue Jays when guess won the world, the 91 and 92, or 93 and 94 World Series. Right, 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 right. right. Can, so can you imagine the ratings of somebody sitting in Atlanta wants to watch two Canadian baseball teams playing in, in, in cold weather when is No, ain't going to happen. That's an interesting... Uh, right? So who's to blame for the strike? So, I mean, the situation, if you were... Look, if you were going to... What I'm trying to say is, if you were a, a, an owner of a team that's in a big market, if you were, if you're an owner of a, uh, a team in in, uh, in not only in big markets or that has no chance of making the playoffs at that particular year, or if you're the management of Major League Baseball, what season would you like to ruin? One that you wouldn't make money on to begin with, or one that you would make the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. So this is also a business. So why did they choose that year to? You know, they could have procrastinated. Yeah, they could have uh, waited until the season to be over. Go for the over, et cetera, or take a chance on the next. No, but it's possibly. You don't think people love an underdog story? They, people do. They, they do. Absolutely. Uh, however, 
you know, when you when you're the Montreal Canadiens and when we go to Florida or I go to Vancouver and I watch a Montreal Canadiens game, I tell you, when the Canadians score, sometimes I feel we're at the Bell Center. Yeah. Right. When the Yankees travel around the no uh, matter where they go, they have fans everywhere. When Boston travels, yeah. they have fans everywhere. And it's the same idea here. When uh, you know here, Montreal fans didn't have Montreal didn't have fans in other places because yeah. it's a new team. Really, it doesn't have the history. It never won. People want to back a winner, yeah. right? And in that particular year, Montreal wasn't the winner, and they were scared. Possibly, just imagine. Montreal Expos versus the... I mean, they wouldn't even have to cross the border. <laughs> a bus would go six hours back, uh, uh, up and down in each direction. They wouldn't even enter into the U.S. It, you're not selling tickets in the U.S. You're not selling hot dogs in the U.S. You're not selling uh, Yankees uniforms in the U.S. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. So if you're... I'm not saying they were going to push a strike. If it happened that we were our backs up no against the wall. No one was going to stop it. No one was going to. Let, let it slide. Let it slide. Let it, we're losing money anyway. It's not a winning year for us. Let it go. Again, baseball historians define the strike as the death it was, of the expo. It was certainly. The dagger. Yeah. So, and then after that, you're saying, look, we need to keep it together. This is the last year. Contracts are coming up. We won't. With, with, a, with, we're all, we're, we're, we have revenues. All our revenues, 100% of our revenues, other than, uh, uh are in Canadian dollars. Why don't you look up the exchange rate at that time, <laughs> right? And I have to tell you, it wasn't very good. So for every for every dollar that comes in, <laughs> you, you know, you need to make a dollar thirty Canadian to pay off a Gary Carter a contract. Yeah, yeah. So at least a good thing post strike. Yeah. So they traded the top four. For, and some people say they didn't need to do that, but um, there was a conspiracy at the time that they had already, the owners had already decided they were going to sell their team. And they were like low-key, like, that that was the conspiracy. Because it was like, why would you give up after the best year, the best four players, if you are you don't have something planned? There's, um, look, nobody was happy about it. Uh, and to their defense, there's a Greek expression that I've used. Penida xilia sexana kolo demponan katholi. 50 lashes on somebody else's tush doesn't hurt me at all. Right. So these contracts were up. You're going to have to dig deep in your pocket to pay it. You're going to be in a negative cash flow position. It's one thing to be benevolent. If it doesn't look like we can win, I might as well try and reduce my losses. So after the strike, people, it wasn't just in Montreal, like people just sort of turned on baseball. People were mad. People were resentful of the team, the players, and the managers for not receipt, not coming to some sort of agreement. Um, post instead of um, instead of post strike for everybody to rush back to baseball, they the whole league had a decrease in attendance. People were absolutely it left, look. It left a sour taste in, in your mouth because here you were, a working stiff, coming home, and they're making to, millions. To How dare they? So this was at the time. The longest the millionaires long, yeah. fighting against multi-millionaires. And all the players are what? Like under 30? And you're like, you're, you're, you don't know. You haven't worked. This year, you are living the dream. You can't negotiate between a $15 million contract and a $19 million contract. I get it. I get it. At the time being the longest logout. But it hurt Montreal a lot because we already had struggling attendance. So the 20% decrease after a 30%, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. Attendance was at, was low. What year was that now? 84. Uh, I'm Nin- sorry. 94. I'm so sorry. 94. You got to remember now. Remember I told you earlier on about the Canadians being on a down spiral after winning four Stanley How are the Canadians doing in 95 post-lockout? Uh, so uh, they won a cup in um, 86 and okay. they won a cup in 93. Okay. That makes right? so much sense. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Shane Corson. So, what a fun time to bounce back and forth between sports. Imagine having hope in two teams, off and on. Well, if you look at, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's some teams that have won, you know, Pittsburgh, for example, the Steelers and the Pirates uh, that, that went in the same year. The strike negatively affected its fan base. Expos would never recover from the incident. Despite respectable performances in 96, 2002, and 2003, the, never, the team never came close to contending again. That's correct. See, that, see another thing you have to keep in mind at that time, um, there's basically two leagues, and each league has two teams. Each, each league has two, each league 
has two divisions. Only the first team of each division moves on to the World playoffs. Series. Yeah, the World Series is, is yeah. Right? The World Series is the best team in the American League versus, and the best league of the, the, the National League. And how do you get to the your perspective, your perspective winning the American League and National League? You have to, first of all, finish first in your division and beat the, your counter, who also won first in the division. Versus hockey, you have 16 teams that make it. Yeah. Right? So it's, you know, out of 32 teams, only four advance. So you, you have basically a, 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 thir- a, a 16 points, uh, less than a 15% chance at the start of the season to get into the the, 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 um, the playoffs. So um, versus hockey, 50% of the teams get in. So everybody has a chance. I found the information I was looking for before. But to prove that how cheap the Expos were for their players, whatever, uh, to illustrate that they were the second lowest Budget. Budget, exactly. One of the players, Larry Walker, complained in the media that the team members were asked to buy their own vitamins. And that was like unheard of in the MLB. Like, can you believe the Expos are making us pay for our own vitamins? How much money do vi- does vitamins cost? I don't know. Steroids is another thing. But regardless. And then the book I was, the Brochu, Mr. Brochu, was, was one of the owners. And in his book, My Turn at Bat, he argued that the the fire sale, which was the sale of those, those previous players, was the only viable option since his partners in the ownership group were not interested in financing the team's losses. Brochu estimated that he tried to keep the 94 team together. The Expos would have lost $25 million in 95 and it would have pushed the franchise to the edge of bankruptcy and he claimed he would have certainly kept those players had the partners been willing to put up the money necessary to keep them in so he's saying i tried to keep it together it was everybody else who didn't want to it's 50 lashes on somebody else's dish yeah yeah it was no avail brochu told malone they all had to be off the roster by the deadline deadline for salary arbitration even though it made it all but impossible to get any leverage in possible deals and the expos got nothing in return so uh, the Expos finished last in 95, and their game attendance fell 26% um, from 24,000 people in the stands to 18,000 people in the stands. And a 60,000-person stadium, that's awful. It looked empty uh, when you saw it on TV. Um, and it would never average more than 20,000 fans per game for the rest of their tenor in Montreal. Yes. So this is, I'm sorry, this is just going to be sad what I'm going to read next. I wasn't even alive and it still hurts me. So I can imagine as a baseball fan, I apologize in advance. As the 90s were on, interest in the Expos dwindled to the point where they were barely part of Montreal's sports landscape. Uh, in the latter part of the decade, an old friend who owned a team in the Dominican Republic, right, because one of our one of our coaches and general managers was the first uh, Dominican owner or manager of an... Uh, Moises Salou was of an MLB team. So it was, and we also broke records. And his son played with him. Yeah, so everyone, and, and you they were all proud. And you got to understand, the, uh, the Montreal Royals was... Oh low. my God, I didn't even mention, did I go right. with Jackie Ralphinson? No, we did. Did I mention any no. of that? So you got to understand, Montreal has always been a breaking ground. So uh, Jackie Robinson, who every team in the league has retired his number, he broke the color here. barrier. When he was a junior, he played for the Montreal Royals, which was a junior league. And then he got drafted to the MLB as the first black player. And he broke all the color boundaries. Right. So I, I was supposed to mention that earlier to illustrate that's why Montreal got a team. Because we had we had the baseball history. I was supposed to mention that earlier. It was in my notes. Oh, I'm falling apart. Okay. Pull yourself together. Pull myself together, now woman. Cough up $25 million <laughs> so we can save, save these four players. <laughs> Okay. Well, okay. So, right. He was saying when his friend from the Dominican Republic came uh, to Montreal, he could not find a store downtown that sold any Expos cap, nor did he see anyone wearing an Expos cap during his week-long stay in the city. And when he took a taxi to the Olympic Stadium, the driver couldn't find the entrance. There were no signs. They weren't advertising that the Expos even played there. Like, it was – we pretended like they didn't exist. Um, According to to this guy – as with such lackluster marketing, it was no surprise that the Expos couldn't attract fans. So are we blaming marketing? I also read another part a part that like the Expos could not find an agreement with any English media provider to 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 have the game. Like the French the French radios, they had agreements with the French radios, they were paying them, but no English provider, radio provider or TV, pro- they're all in French. They just couldn't, no English media wanted to 
to pay to pay to 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 broadcast the games. And so when when you don't have a good portion of the population, like it's just not being shown to everybody. Like it, it's like it wasn't even given a chance. It lacked like, exposure. It lacks it, there was bad marketing, bad bad PR, bad like what happened? And and you, if like you look worst at, teams have lived longer and had loyalty. If you, it was as the the baseball in the city was as cold as the concrete Olympic Stadium. It just gets worse. They sell the team to Jeffrey Loria. His his solution for trying to keep this dwindling team alive is to build a new stadium uh, downtown called Labatt Park because they were like, you know what, the Olympic Stadium's in a bad neighborhood, which at the time it was. You know, the East End was not, it's not downtown, there's no restaurants, that's the reason no one's coming to our games. Uh, it's in the East End, it's a poorly located, far from popular centers, restaurants, bars, fans perceived it as so unsafe. <laughs> Additionally, um, free agents were letting it known they were not willing to play for the Expos because the stadium's poor playing conditions. Yeah. So, uh, one of the reasons Andre Dawson wanted to be traded, yeah. who was a Hall of Fame center fielder, number 10. Right. Um, the Olympic Stadium is concrete. Yeah. So they said the, it was never nice, even when it was new. Yeah, uh, they're right. And the, the nicest piece was the velodrome, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> that burned down? What happened to it? No, they took it down. Because it, it was a cycling track. Oh, velodrome. Got it, got it, got it, got it. But uh, we had the roof that comes on and off. Am I just an optimist? Uh, yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> Didn't work. The, 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 Whose fault is that? Maybe that's the reason. Maybe if the sports, so, maybe if the O was was a good, uh, not so expensive, we weren't still paying it off. If it was good and viable, you know, it would be an attractive area for the Expos. Like there are so many people who let the Expos down. And the place where they wanted to build the uh, bad the, park uh, is now called Griffintown. That's where they were going to build uh, on Peel mm -hmm. below Saint uh, Saint Antoine. Well, all that was going to be the uh, in that area was going to be. Now you have Costco and Griffintown and condos. Yeah, I know cetera, exactly what you right? mean. Like on the canal near the canal. Yeah, that's what that was supposed to be. If you look How at how beautiful would that have been next to the Fahim Five Rose sign? And then if you look at you know Candlestick Park in San Francisco, right? People, it's right up against the water, so it's a smaller stadium. So people are just uh, with little rowboats uh, on the water, waiting, listening to the game, yeah. waiting for a ball to be hit Cute. outside the park, and they're going in the water to catch a baseball. I blame them for not wanting to fund so, it because they still hadn't paid off the Olympic Stadium. They were going to build a new stadium. It would have cost $250 million minimum. And this was a 97 anticipated opening date of 2001. Retro classic park with a facade reminiscent of the historic Bonaventure Station. According to the Montreal Gazette editorial supporting the new park, Brochu's threat to move the team unless... Olympic Stadium was replaced with was simple logic. Brochu sought $150 million in funding from the provincial government, but Premier Lucien Bouchard refused, saying he could not authorize public funding for a stadium when the province was being forced to close hospitals and had still not paid Olympic Stadium debt. Many members of the consortium considered uh, selling, favored selling favored selling the team, hoping the press to pressure a sale. Some members began to feed anonymous tips to the French press, making it an internal discord between Brochu and his partners public. Tendons continued to fall. You gotta also understand, in 1993, there was a recession. Okay, mm. so then Loria also seems like a shitty guy. I hate everybody so, in this story. So Loria is the nail in the coffin. Yeah. So he's selfish. not, he's, he he's not selfish. a baseball person. Yeah. He's not a sports person. He is an art dealer. And that's who that's who our two characters before sold sold the team to. So he came up and he paid little, very little money, took it, and he was gonna take it take the team apart. But he, he talked big talk. He said that Brochu's low budget approach. Uh, as he called it, is now over. He was promised to rebuild the Expos with a winning attitude um, in effort to bring the team back to where it had been only six years ago. Was it in its... It fell very quickly. And, and, and you got a, a, he really wanted a stadium. And he, needed, he, he didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. So I said, look, he was threatening the province and the city. If you don't build me a stadium to put my I'm team, team in, I'm going to move the team. Yeah. It, he did raise some money. Some of it worked because in 2000, Monsieur Kutsu, Monsieur Loblaw, and Bronfman comes in again with big investments. 
because maybe I'll take Brockman. Maybe he did want the best. He was just, he just spoke too much. But anyway, um, you know, he said you didn't, you said you didn't want to pay for it, but he ended up owning 92% of the team over time. So he just kept putting more and more and more money into the team to buy out everyone else's shares. And what happened is, so. Or they bought out. <laughs> they were what happens it. is when there's a, a margin call, when you need $25 million and the team is worth, for example, $100 million and you come in and put $25 million in, even though that goes towards operating expenses, you just bought 25% of the money. Of the business, I guess so. And he continued to do that. So he, I can't say he didn't try. Um, so they raised the budget. As a result, most of the increased payroll came from signing of free agents and Graham Lloyd, Hidekui Rabu, um, Lee Stevens. But these failed to translate into on-field success. One of the players missed an entire season due to arthroscopic surgery. You know, <laughs> like um, the Expos lost ninety-five games. Um, they went from winning 95 games to losing in so quickly yeah. and um, interest in the team continued to decline people were unwilling to support a non-competitive team and then just I'm trying to make like a sound just as quickly as he got it he gave up and sold the team and um, okay so Loria sold the Expos to the MLB Major League yes right and used the money he received from the sale to purchase the Florida Marlins from John Henry, who just got the Red Sox. So they just passed the teams along. This part is infuriating. As a result of the transaction, Loria turned a significant profit on his $16 million investment at, that he bought the Expos for and uh, got $125, $125 million for the team. And how do you think the Brothmans feel when they've put in hundreds of millions of dollars to support the team since 1969? You're right. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. They're an OG. What does that stand for? Original gangster. Yes, Mr. Br Charles Bronfman, I apologize. I just want to blame someone so badly. Yeah. Uh, look, if it wasn't for the Bronfmans and Drapo, they uh, we wouldn't have him here. Yeah. All right? So uh, I, I don't blame Bronfman. He supported it. He finally yeah. got to, you know, this is the he end. He just broke. He just yeah. broke. It's been decades, you know? Uh, so, so this guy, Laurie, comes in for $16 million and, ma guy. and makes 10 times his money. And in like and three years. And takes that money to buy the, the Florida Marlins. Right. Loria took virtually everything of value with him to Miami, including the Expos computers. Why would you take the computers and scouting reports? Okay, this guy is the worst. Yes. I mean, he didn't drive the team. I'm he, sure if the team he, was doing well, he wouldn't have sold it. And if the team had popularity and people cared and people were buying tickets and the stadiums were full. But this guy is the guy puts who... The nail, put the nail in the coffin. Where is he even from? He's what loyalty does he have he's to the a, Expos? Nothing. He's an American. He's a businessman. He's an art dealer. Buys and sells uh, art. That's all. Those are all my notes. Um, Fast forward. There's a, a there's a resurgence uh, heading that is Warren Cromarty mm -hmm. to bring the Expos back to Montreal. We've so, been talking about it for a little bit. Quite a bit. Yeah. So I, I have to say, with Laurie, if the, see if the team was working doing well, and he he probably still would have sold it, but he would have sold it for two hundred fifty million instead of one hundred twenty. You think Laurie would have sold it regardless? Yeah, easily. That's he, comforting. That's a little bit comforting that, that's, to me. That to, to me, that's business. <laughs> business. So some nice things, some nice moments. Um, we mentioned him earlier, Pedro Martinez. He was on the team in '94. He that was he was gonna get. You know, they so, really yeah. thought he was gonna win the the World Series, whatever. In '97, he goes to the Red Sox, and in 2004, the same year the team gets traded, he wins the World Series with the Red Sox. And as they're pouring Gatorade over him, he's saying like, "This is for all the boys I was playing in the Expos with. This is this is our yes. this is ours." I'm glad I got it, and uh, I, w I would like to share this with the people in Montreal that, that are not going to have a team anymore. But my heart and my, 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 my ring is with them, too. So, thank you for... Do, do, you, do you feel upset, or do you feel... We're in tears about that. Honestly, it's, uh, it's you know, uh, this is very typical about how things are managed in this province. Okay, perfect. That's where I wanted to get to. Right. And and uh, there's political interference when it's not necessary, and that when you need political help, it's not there to back you up. Yeah. Right. So um, Lucien Bouchard was in a in a recession, and if he if it, it, he would lose 
a lot of points politically if he if he backed the Expos, the losing team, right? He said it should be independent, it should work on himself. But nobody realizes... All these other places are bailed out. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Absolutely. You know, because uh, they create jobs. But they don't understand okay. that, that, <laughs> that people go to the stadiums, they park, there's parking attendants, there's people that, uh, you know, uh, taking your ticket, there's people taking your jacket, there's people uh, cleaning the seats, there's... Pe- ca- the people around the stadium, the, the dinner and the, the game? The restaurants... The bars, the television rights. There would have been the, a resurgence the, in baseball. The, 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 the cleaning of the stadium between between um, uh, between games, the hot dogs sold, um, the vendors, right? The PST, GST on that, the number of salaries, the federal tax, provincial tax. So there's a lot of taxation. This probably could have, I don't know. Do you think the new stadium would have been the solution? Well, you need a winning team. Right. So like the winning, the, win, the, the you know, and I and you you bring up an interesting point because the Toronto Maple Leafs haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967 with Dave Keon was they the keep captain. Coming close though. Right? <laughs> However, look, look look what's happening. The tick. I don't know if you know this, but the ticket sales prices in Toronto are more. Exp- we complain about the the prices here. Yeah. But the ticket prices are even more expensive in Toronto. Yeah. And they haven't sold. They they they, they sold out every game since. Right. And it's yeah. So exp- so yeah. so tell me, it's a non-winning team. Nineteen sixty-seven. Right. And just like the the forty years, the the three or four decades at the Expos, there were ups and downs. There would have been another up. Yeah. So my point is. At the time, I have to tell you, I said, look, just because you get a, 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 a venue downtown doesn't mean you're gonna be, people are going to be going because if it's not a winning product, the Montreal fans are pretty fickle. Right. So in retrospect, it probably would have changed because I'm looking at the example of Toronto and they haven't won, yet they fill every game. Right. The difference is jobs, right? When you have jobs, people make money. When you make money... You have disposable income. Uh, not only do you pay your proper taxes, right? You have disposable income. Look at here. You're buying yarn. You're buying a computer. You called me out there. Right? <laughs> so, so you buy. A, a, you turn over your car a, a year earlier than you would have. So, you, so you're throwing back in the economy. And what creates jobs? You're either an entrepreneur or you're working for an entity. The head office jobs all move to Toronto. Not all. But there's more head office jobs in Toronto. So mm-hmm. look at the look at Toronto. They're supporting a baseball team. They're supporting a basketball their, team. Their population is also like massive. Why did it double and triple and quadruple like that when Montreal doesn't? I realize they're right? all yes. So it's economies of scale. Yeah. Montreal basically has a soccer team, so does Toronto. Mm-hmm. We have a football football team, the CFL, so does Toronto. And we have a hockey team, the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto has additionally a basketball team and a baseball team that we don't have. Yeah. There's a there's a bigger support base to be able to there's more disposable income that can that they can they can tap into. And all these sports are in the downtown core. If you had to summarize in one sentence what happened to the Expos? How would you do it? Who is to blame? Loria was the. Uh, I hate that guy now. The uh, the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Because if he didn't sell, we would have managed. We would have chugged along. We would have. The team would have lost twenty twenty five million dollars in a year, and they would have been stuck with the the profits paying the bill until they found a partner or a government. Uh, the recession. We came out of the recession, mm-hmm. and maybe the government would have chipped in, built a, somebody private would have come and built a stadium for the Alouettes and and uh, and the Expos downtown. Uh, that land is. They were giving it away dirt cheap. It was contaminated land. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, the next closest place that they thought of was actually uh, was closer to... Uh, so you think a downtown stadium... Now, in retrospect, I didn't think so before the interview, but you, you forced me to introspect. And if we had a downtown stadium, I'm not saying they would have made money, but they would have lost less than $25 million a year. It's a, it's a pickle. 
it's a pickle. This the stadium because you could also argue that if the stadium was just built properly the first time round for the '76 Olympics, if it was just, I realize it wasn't accommodated for baseball. But if they knew it was going to be used for baseball, why not just build it properly and not? Because like this stadium is also messing up. It's it's leaking into other assets. It's leaking into it's. You know, if maybe that st- stadium was built properly, maybe that neighborhood would have become cooler earlier. You know, and maybe. It, maybe if we had more uses for the stadium, more, I guess this is an Olympic problem in a lot of major cities, what to do with their Olympic stadium post-Olympics after how expensive it is. And it's this is like a thing. Right. But I, I see that as a major, it was six years late. Tali Bell was the architect. I have to tell you, it's the first building I know that was built without architectural plans. Are you sure? There were sketches, but what, since it's all concrete... They did it like by a mold, mold, a mold. They, they knew what they wanted to build. They had a sketch, and they would build, make the mold, and pour the concrete in. We should probably save this for another episode because this this stadium. And then I have to tell you. So then, why it kept falling apart? Because they didn't build it all in one piece. They would do sections of it, and and at the time, so how did they connect one section to the other? They would put steel rods as they're yeah, draw, making I've this. Seen that. They put steel rods, and then they put a steel rod sticking out, and then they built. So the steel rod is connecting the two pieces of concrete yeah, yeah, yeah. versus something like uh, the CN Tower in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever see how that was built? No. Was that they also- built a whole, mo- not a se- they didn't build by section. They said, we're going to do the whole thing all at once. So what they did is <laughs> they That's actually hilarious. made a mold, of the whole thing all the way to the top. And they would take cement with helicopters and go to the top and pour it in. That's a fun pour job. It in, right? All the way in. So there's no pieces. So they still have the steel rods through, but it goes, goes from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. But there's no pieces for it to fall. The whole thing can, may come down, but it won't come down in pieces. No politician wanted to commit suicide with his career to pledge taxpayers' money to build a stadium uh, in a questionable area to, uh, to, put on a, to, to host a team that wasn't necessarily a winning team at the time for a fickle fan base. Yeah, I went. I agree with that. And I went. And nobody stepped in. Forget a politician. Just everyone chose. I'm going to stay out of this one until it was sold. And I went into this thinking it was just poor, poorly managed, and poorly owned. And they just made a series of poor, inexperienced decisions. But now I see they had the best intentions. And then after him, it was after those men, it was way worse. So I also changed my mind. Right. I have to tell you, though, the, uh, it would have been different today because the, um, so, you have, you, Denise, you have to keep remembering, the revenue model is in Canadian dollars and you're paying all the players in U.S. dollars. That's, that's why Mr. Bronfman said the kid was the worst right. investment. And on top of that, but the Quebec government doesn't realize that it's also politically turbulent times. Oh, there's so many aspects. Absolutely. And you're looking at somebody making eight million dollars a season, right? It's like a it's equivalent to a hundred people working at eighty thousand dollars. That being the case, how much taxes do you collect, right? On 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 eight million dollars as as a government? Why don't you just give that back? Let give that portion back. That's your contribution. Whatever tax we collect from the players, from the stadium. From the hot dogs. Yeah, they're paying the, Quebec right? income taxes, the why, highest why, why, ever. Why, why don't, why, why, you know, you're on a 50% tax break. Why don't we just give that back and build your stadium, right? Yeah. But nobody wanted to, 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 to risk this. Uh, Call me in the afternoon, even by 